Let's stand to our feet and thank God for his presence in this place. Lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice and praise him. Thank him for his presence in this place. Lord, we glorify you. I thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your presence. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified. Be magnified. I thank you, Father, for your presence in this place. I thank you, Lord God, for your anointing touching each one. I thank you, Father, that your power is not limited by time or distance. That, Lord, everyone within the sound of my voice, whether it's today or whether it's years in the future, that you bless them right where they're at. I thank you, Lord, for those who are gathered here. They're blessed that their ears are open to hear. That a result, as a result of what we will hear tonight, Lord, we are transformed into that image. The image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you, Lord Jesus. You are highly exalted. We glorify you. We thank you. We magnify you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that I am anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, that I am anointed to open the eyes of the blind. I thank you, Father, that I am anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives. I thank you, Father, that I am anointed to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. I thank you, Father, that I am anointed to give those who have... Um, ashes to give them beauty i thank you father that i am anointed lord to give a garment of praise in place of a garment of heaviness i thank you father for your presence in this place and i bless you i love you and we give you all the glory and everyone that agreed said amen, amen. you may be seated hallelujah praise the lord i'm gonna switch these out well god is good and all the time god is good and I'm so grateful that he has raised me up to be a testimony of his goodness, to be a testimony of his power, to be a testimony of the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that testimony, though it is my testimony, it's also your testimony. And sometimes our testimonies look a little bit different. Sometimes we hear stories of um, great overcoming and great sorrow and, and God turning things around and those testimonies are wonderful. We hear testimonies of people being brought out of incredible things and into the salvation that God offers. But my testimony looks a little bit different. And I know people who have similar testimonies to mine and sometimes they're embarrassed to share it. Well, I am happy to share with you today that my testimony is I don't have any sad stories. I'm happy to share with you today that my testimony is not just of God's saving power, but of his keeping power. The same power that saved you will keep you. And I'm thankful to God for that. And I'm thankful to God uh, that even in times where I've made mistakes, that the promise of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, uh, 12 through 15 remains the same for me, that as I have been involved in that upward call in Christ Jesus, that in any area of my life that I have thought contrary to that path, he has revealed it to me. He has been faithful. And I can tell you uh, tonight with absolute assurance that that same testimony is available to you. And uh, that same power is available to you. I want to start in Philippians chapter 2. I want to thank Pastor Greg and Ms. Glenna for the opportunity to uh, share and minister to you this morning, this evening, excuse me. You can tell that I haven't slept in a while. Um, <laughs> you might be wondering why we opened with that song. I mean, my goodness, you know, we already sang two songs in the beginning. So why have a third? 
And tonight, Pastor has asked me to speak to you. We're on the topic of family in these Wednesday night services. And Pastor asked me if I would talk to you from the perspective of someone who was raised in a Christian household. And when I, what I said earlier about testimonies, testimony is not a competition. So one testimony is not necessarily greater than the other. The point is, is God is the exclamation point at the end of every testimony. And so my testimony is one who has grown up in a Christian household, who's come uh, under the training of wonderful parents, who's come under the training of a wonderful pastor while I was growing up, and now a wonderful pastor here while uh, here, here at Freedom Word, and under the leadership and guidance of many worship leaders and youth uh, leaders and teachers and te- teachers in nursery school. That is all part of my testimony and the reality of what God can do in a life like that. And just because, I guess what I'm saying is, is you don't, don't ever take, well, that just sounds you know, so much better, so my testimony is worthless. No, no testimony is worthless. Like I said, God is the exclamation point at the end of every testimony. He's the important part. We're kind of just the, uh, the means to an end, for lack of a better way of saying it. I'm not saying that you don't matter and that I don't matter. Uh, we matter very much to God. He gave everything for us. But in exchange, the Bible says he died for those so that those who live would live for him who died for them. That's what it says in Corinthians. And so that is really what we are after all the time. And so why open with that song? Well, when, uh, when I was really little, um, my parents used to put me to bed with that song. And... It's songs like that and lessons that they taught me, things that they said, other songs that maybe we heard and sang together as a family or listened to uh, often as a family. It's those things that stick with me long after. Not everything is perfect. People make mistakes. I made mistakes. Um, You know, our family has made mistakes and pastors make mistakes. Churches make mistakes. But all these years, the things that stick with me the most are songs like that song and different sayings and different things that my parents said growing up. And it's, uh, I'll I'll tell this story. You know, my parents would bring me into the room and my mom would usually sit in the rocking chair and she would hold me and she would, there was, you know, she was a worship leader and she, she is a worship leader and so she knew all kinds of songs. But I couldn't really talk at the time, so... Uh, whenever she tried to sing something else, I would interrupt and say, Be Manify! Be Manify! Because that's the song that I wanted. And so she would sing it, and my eyes would close, and I would appear to be asleep. And then just when it's time, okay, good, he's, he's in bed. Because every parent says hallelujah when it, the kid is asleep. And so I am asleep, and so she gets ready to put me in the crib, and all of a sudden... Be magnified, be magnified. And she has to go sit back down and sing it all over again. Okay, we get through the whole song. Okay, good, he's asleep. And the cycle continues until I actually fell asleep for real. But that's why I wanted to sing that song tonight. I had a professor who had a great impact on me in my, um, the end, kind of the end of my master's degree and at the beginning of my doctoral degree. And he uh, always said it was important that as worship leaders that we pick songs uh, that are rich in gospel truth because those are the songs uh, that people are going to live with. Those are the songs that people are going to draw on. You know, the Bible talks about the power of singing 
And so those songs that, we, that worship leaders choose, those are songs people are going to live with in their daily lives. Those are songs people can draw on in bright seasons and in dark seasons. And, <clears throat> and so, uh, and he said, you know, sometimes even, you know, uh, a lot of times in Christian families, people, uh, not to be too morbid, but people pass on singing worship songs that they sang in church. And so the, uh, the things that my parents instilled in me, I mean, I'm nowhere near going to die. I'm going to be here for a very long time. But, um, you know, those things, they still stick with me. You know, when, when the fridge was empty, when, uh, you know, and, and didn't know how I was going to pay bills, songs like Be Magnified still resonated with me. When my parents would rehearse in the car ride to school, okay, repeat after me, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and never beneath. I'm above and never beneath. You know, when, um, when they, whatever, there was persecution, or, or even at younger ages, when we would be in school and you'd get picked on and those kinds of things would happen. It's those kind of things that come back to you and that sustain you. And so that is the value. Uh, that is the... Um, uh, the, the really the golden gem of growing up in a Christian household. And like Pastor said last week, we know not everybody has had an ideal situation. Not everybody, uh, you know, not, not everything has just worked out perfectly. And sometimes people can hear some things like this and take it as condemnation. It is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, I just want you to know the goodness of God in my life and know that regardless of what season that you are in, regardless of what stage of family you are in, even if your kids are gone and moved out, or whether you have a family of your own, regardless of what stage you are at, the goodness, the capacity of the goodness of God, the capacity of the power of God, the principles of God, the word of God, is enough to set any wrong situation right. Sometimes we look at the power of God and the word of God, especially when it comes to family, and it's just like, man, this is an uphill battle that it seems like we're never going to win. But if we can lift up our eyes and realize that the Bible says Jesus Christ is seated far above. So in my mind and in my heart, his power, his word, and everything that is contained uh, and provided, contained in him and provided to us because he is in us by the spirit, it is far greater. We're not just struggling from battle to battle. This isn't like you know, a Hollywood movie where there's this giant bloody scene and the heroes win by a small margin. One, we've already won. Yes. Two, any battle that we face here on after as we enforce the victory of Christ, every battle that we fight, it does not have to be a squeak by battle. It's like, man, we won, but you know, like in the movies, you know, they're all bloody and bruised and Lift your eye up from that kind of victory. Leave it in the past and look to a greater one where you stomp on the enemy in whatever capacity he is running in your home and in your life. Get a picture of great victory. Get a picture of not a bruised and bloody victory, but one where the superiority of Christ dominates whatever situation you're in. So if I was to title... Uh, my segment in this, it would be trained 
for service in the gospel. In second, uh, second Philippians, there is no such thing as second Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, a familiar piece of scripture, Paul writes, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus, which not, excuse me, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Verse 22. But you know his proving character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And I love the language that Paul uses here because sometimes, uh, you know, for people, family is a touchy issue, and it's like my natural family just didn't. I can't see any of the things that we're talking about working out in my natural family. Well, one, like I said before, the power of God is so able to turn that situation around. But also, we see here that Paul refers to Timothy as a son in the Lord. And in essence, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is, although I can't come to you right now, I can send to you someone who's just like me. We're like-minded, and when he is there, it'll be as if he was there. And... That, to me, is a picture of sonship. That is a picture of uh, coming up under someone, whether it be in the Lord or whether it be in a home. Um, you know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God as dear, ch- as dear children. It's, it's in the nature of very young children to imitate their parents. They just do little things, and sometimes it's cute, and sometimes I imagine it's annoying. But, um, but you know, they do these things, and Paul says, you know, imitate God in this way. And, but later on in another letter, Paul says, imitate me that way. As I'm imitating Christ, you follow me. You do what I do. And I think back on the, the pastor that I grew up under, the youth leaders that I grew up under, and I think of my parents. And where I have arrived today and the level of blessing that I've been able to walk in is greatly due in part to doing me doing what they did. Does that make sense? Now, I had to make my faith my own. I had to decide you can't live off of somebody else's faith. You can't live off of somebody else's miracles. Not forever. Obviously, when you're a young child, you live off of your parents' provision and all that kind of a thing. But there comes a point where you have to start believing for yourself. You have to take ownership of your faith. But the way I learned to do that was imitating my pastor, imitating my youth leader, imitating my children's um, church teachers. Uh, I can't remember what we called it back then. We didn't call it children's church, but you know, imitating our children's church leaders, imitating my parents. Before, uh, my parents have served uh, in the house of the Lord in many different functions. Both have preached and taught. Um, before I was born, they served in the youth group and they would take the youth on all kinds of trips and have them over their house and their home. After I was born, uh, of course, you heard me mention earlier, my mom is a worship leader. And so I came with her many times to music practices on, on Tuesday nights and, you know, it would go on for two, sometimes three hours. And uh, I would go with her early on Sunday mornings, you know, an hour, hour and a half before the service and sit there while, while she uh, served in the worship ministry. My dad served as an usher. Uh, my dad used to be a, uh, an amateur boxer, and uh, yeah, don't mess with him. He's won trophies. Um, 
but uh, he, he, would, um, he served in ushering. I believe he still does serve in ushers. Like I mentioned before, he's preached. Uh, he uh, started a, a, a boxing group for the youth. Uh, so he got all these punching bags and equipments and taught, taught the kids of the church how to box and how to do that kind of thing. And he turned that into a ministry. And, uh, you know, he, he, for many years, and I don't know, maybe he still does this, I have no idea, but he would bring, on his way to church, he would stop and he would pick up uh, donuts for all the kids in the kids' church, and he would bring them to the kids' church so that the kids had donuts and, and you know, good things that parents don't want them to have, but they're delicious. And, um, and uh, you know, he, my dad, still to this day, he, he goes and he picks up people, you know, who can't get to church. He, he leaves early, he gets... Uh, my siblings, and we, when, I was, when, when I was younger, he would get us out of the house early so we could go pick up so-and-so so that they could get to church. That's a ministry. That's service. That's service in the house of the Lord. So I was around that for many years, and that was my, uh, my example. Um, my parents got us involved in all kinds of things. Um, you know, my mom would uh, serve in a, it was called, it's called a Mayus house. It's kind of a, a feeding uh, shelter for for the homeless and uh, in, in kind of the poor community there in our hometown, and to be honest, I tried to remember, but I couldn't really recall. But I can't remember if she made me go, or if she tricked me into going, or if I went willingly. I really don't remember. But I ended up, you know, with her, and I don't. It it felt when we were there. It felt like it took hours. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, all these people, and we're here for hours. And I got the lovely responsibility of cleaning dishes. Oh my gosh, the nights where we had anything that had to do with like that needed ketchup. Like, I mean, I remember I'm nauseous there. I mean, the, the smell of the ketchup mixed with the food and the dirty water and the and the rubber gloves. It's just like this is disgusting, you know. But I was learning. I was learning to serve. And, you know, to be honest now, one of the things that jumps out at me in the scriptures the most, um, I'm, I'm literally drawn to the passages of scriptures, the things people don't like to read, uh, in the prophets where God condemned Israel for how they treated the poor. And I read that, I'm, and still to this day, I'm 27, yeah, 27, about to be 28. And... Uh, <laughs> 27, about to be 28, and those things still stick with me. I look at that and I go, okay, what, you know, I I never want this to be me. I remember the example that was set for me. There came a time um, when I became a teenager and, and I, uh, I served almost seven days a week in the church. Um, Monday nights was prayer. Tuesday nights was worship practice. Wednesday night was Bible study. Thursday nights was usually the night that I got off unless I was helping out, um, which did not happen often, but if I was helping out with the, the cleaning uh, people, uh, a lot of times they would clean on Tuesday nights. But Tuesday nights was also staff meeting, so I wasn't staff, I was a teenager. So um, thir- Friday night was youth group. Saturday, sometimes it was men's breakfast. And then you have service on Sunday. And then sometimes we'd have service Sunday night. I learned how to serve in the church, and I learned how to be in the house of the Lord. And the amazing thing was, and like I told you in the beginning, I made mistakes. My family has made mistakes. The church has made mistakes. So I don't want to paint a fairy tale picture for you. But I do want to say, you know, I can, when I tell people I was raised in the house of the Lord, I'm not really drawing a distinction between what happened in the church building and the expectation of my family uh, in our actual house, because our actual house, 
my parents were determined that it would be a reflection of what happened in the church building. You know, they, they, I don't want to use the word. Yeah, let's just use the word. They, you know, they made us uh, have church services like in the house. Like, and let me tell you, you know, you think you're a good worship leader until you have to lead your family in worship. <laughs> like, you know, I'm so anointed. You know, everybody just loves when I sing. And then you get in front of your family like, there's no anointing here. <laughs> Where did the anointing go? And I think Garrison and I were talking a couple of months ago. You know, you really know that you're walking out your anointing when it works outside of the walls of the church. That's when you really know you've stepped into a place of effectiveness. And um, I don't know if I've ever said it to our team here, but when I've trained other worship leaders, I always tell them, your gift, you know that you are really leaning on the Lord, depending on the Lord, obeying the Holy Spirit. When your gift doesn't just minister to the people that like you and only see you once a week on Sunday, you know that your gift works when it blesses your family. You know your gift works when you can minister successfully to your family. And for a long time, my gift did not. You know, and I knew things because I, as you know, when I was, especially when I got to the point where I was in, you know, serving in the church almost six, seven days a week, five, six, seven days a week, you know, you start thinking you know things. And so, you know, I'd come home and, you know, Mr. Know-it-all. And, you know, you think that you're so effective and you think that you're doing stuff right and it really isn't working. But the Lord helps you. And like I said a little while ago, when you're really determined to walk this thing out to where you are not just able to minister to people on the, in the church building in whatever capacity, but the reality of the house of the Lord here in the church building is reflected in your home. Where, and, you know, it doesn't have to look exactly the same. I mean, maybe you don't have an ounce of musical ability. It doesn't matter. You put on a CD, you know, the Lord still loves it. It may sound terrible. We may not have you up on the platform. But God still loves it, and you can still do it in your home together with your family. My dad would bring the word, and sometimes he would read a devotional. Sometimes he would read a little scripture, and, and, you know, and, but it was good. And it wasn't some long, drawn-out thing, but we, we, you know, we learned these things. Our parent, my parents taught us that and taught us the value of uh, making Christianity go beyond just a slight commitment. And um, I said that if I was to title my segment in this series, it would be trained for service in the gospel. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 35. So what's happening here is Jesus has just... Uh, well, a little earlier, Jesus uh, performed some miracles, and he was not well received, and so he went about teaching and preaching and healing, and uh, he looked out over the cities that he was ministered to, and he was, his heart was broken for them. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into his harvest. Well, it's very interesting, because then he turns right around, and he starts commissioning the disciples. It's almost like Jesus was like, we have got to get this thing done. We, I've, I've got to get you guys out there. There are so many uh, of God's lost and hurting people and, 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 uh, that are out there that need our message, that need to be healed, that need to be delivered. We, I, I've, just, I've got to commission you guys. So he sent them out two by two, gave them power and authority. 
over devils and to, to cast out devils and to heal the sick. He gave them a message and said, hey, when you go somewhere, this is what you're going to say. This is how you're going to act. And uh, this little portion of scripture is part of that commission, Jesus' commission to those whom he was sending out to minister in, uh, in, into, the, into the harvest field. Starting in verse 35, not the most popular verse of scripture. It says, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me, say more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me, say more than me, is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about family and there's this whole little portion here where it almost looks like, well, Jesus, it looks like you're coming to break up families and cause division. The, the, it's not a matter of Jesus coming in to create contention. The issue is an issue of committing to the gospel. This walk of Christianity that we get to walk is not a part-time deal. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. And the reason why sometimes when it comes to family and it comes to uh, people that, we, that know us really well, when it comes to those kinds of things, the reason oftentimes why it is so hard uh, is because that's the nitty-gritty. You live with your family every day. We see each other once a week, twice a week maybe, three times if you go to prayer school, which you should. And... Uh, but we only see each other two, three times a week. You live with your family every day. And that is the nitty-gritty of learning to walk out faith, learning to walk and abide by the principles of God. You learn that there's things that we just don't do. There's things that we just don't say. There's places that we just don't go. There are things that we don't participate in. And there are things that others don't participate in that we do participate in. We give we serve, we go out into the community, we serve self-sacrificially. And so when Jesus is talking here, and he's point, you know, setting a father against a son and mother against her daughter and all, all of these things, it's, what he's saying is, is there will be those who choose to follow after me when the rest of the household won't. And that is going to cause division between a father and the son and mother and the daughter and all of these things. Those who are really willing to take up their cross and follow after me to serve sacrificially and give their entire lives to the gospel. And the reason why I wanted to bring this scripture to you is because when I gave all of those examples, and there's many more things that I could say of the things that my parents taught us to do, the things that my pastor that I grew up under taught me to do and say, and how he taught me to act, all of those things were not so that we could just have great services on Sunday. It was not so that we could make a really big church. It was not so that we could have a picture-perfect home. It was so that we would put the gospel first. It was so that we would put Jesus first and that everything would be about him. 
that everything that we did um, reflected his purpose and his mission, that we laid aside the plans for our own life and picked up his plan. So, well, let me say this. Thank you, Jesus. We have, especially in a modern society, sometimes people say, uh, you know, an American society, but, you know, in modern society, the, you know, the picture perfect thing is, you know, get, get a really good education, get into some really good schools, get a really high paying job, and, and, and buy a really nice house, and, um, you know, slip some Jesus in there along the way. Learn the principles of the Bible so that you can have all of those things. And that's not the walk that Jesus has called us to walk. The walk that Jesus has called us to walk is to lay, all, is to lay down all those other things. Not that we can't have them, but I set aside, if you will, I set aside my right to certain things so I can serve him at the utmost. Anything that he needs, anything that he requires of me, Yes, sir, right away. So if it means that I don't do the ideal thing, if I don't do what's accepted in modern society, if I don't do the expected thing, that it's still some, I, I, that I lay that aside and do something that is useful to his kingdom. Does that make sense? So if God gives you the directive, I'm not saying education is bad. I mean, I'm almost done with a doctorate, so I'm not saying education is bad. I've been kind of dancing around the thing, so I might as well jump right into it. I'm not saying education is bad, but, you know, there'll be those who God calls that, you know, education is not the paramount thing. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try hard. Everything that you do, so if you're in school, you should do everything unto the glory of God. You should be a hard worker because you are a child of God, and everything that you put your hand to is blessed but you can't have anything that is blessed if you don't put your hand to anything. So not saying you shouldn't work hard, not saying you shouldn't do good in school. But what I'm saying is if it's not that picture-perfect thing, be open to the Spirit of God. Let yourself be sold out for him and not sold out to some kind of ideal that this is what it's supposed to look like. I, uh, I heard a message earlier today, and let me just check my time here. Oh, Hallelujah. I heard a message today. How many have heard of John G. Lake? He had a phenomenal ministry, and he was talking about, he wrote a letter, and I, I, I tried to write it all down and get it memorized, and I just couldn't. It was a really long letter. But uh, if you want a link to it, I, I can send you a link to the video where I heard someone reading this letter. And John G. Lake talks about how he had a, uh, a group of 125 men that were, they were, went to South Africa uh, and served there as their mission field. And he says, do you want to know why there was such great Pentecostal power poured out in South Africa? And it was poured out unlike anywhere else in the world. He said, do you want to know what the secret is? He said, these 125 men went in there and we, we did our best to support them. And he said, at times, you know, we had to, uh, you know, he, John Lake and his leaders at times had to sell their clothes and different items to get money out to these mis missionaries and and there came time, you know, the funds ran really low. So John G. Lake pulled these guys out of the mission field together for a conference and so that they could spend some time together. And uh, these 125 men told John G. Lake, they said, we would like to meet together and, um, 
and, and without, without you there, we want to just talk amongst ourselves. And so if you could go somewhere for a little while and, uh, and, and leave and, and come back to us uh, a little later, you know, come back to us a little later, and uh, if you could do that, that'd be great. So he went out, he, I don't know, maybe, I think the person said he went out, got something to eat, maybe something to drink, and then he came back, and when he came back, all the guys, all these 125 guys were seated around a circle, and they had the communion elements there, and they told him, and they said, we've talked it over, and we've decided that we want to go back to South Africa, and if we starve, we starve. And if we go back and our wives die, then they die. And if we go back and, uh, and our children pass, then our children pass. If we go back and we die out there on the mission field, then we die. They said, but we want to go back there and do this thing. We want to get the gospel to these people. And they said, the only thing that we ask is that we take communion now and that if we do die, that you would be the one to bury our bodies. And in his letter, John G. Lake wrote, and he said that a year later, he buried 12 of those guys and 16 of their wives and children. But they were so committed to the gospel and so committed to the mission of God, so committed to the message of Jesus Christ, that they were willing to go out there and lay down their lives and spill blood. Uh, John G. Lake also talks about in that letter, while he was there on the field with those guys, you know, he, one guy, you know, he was so hungry, he was delirious. And he walked off and he got lost and John G. Lake went out to find him. And he was able to find him by tracking his bloody footprints because his feet were bare because they had no money. But they were out there preaching the gospel, bringing the good news. John G. Lake said the reason that the spirit was poured out in such great measure in South Africa is because there was men willing to give, 125 men and their families, willing to give everything for that one mission, that one goal, and that one purpose. Today, it looks a little bit different for us. Maybe God is calling you into the mission field. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. But today, it looks a little bit different for us. We, maybe things aren't quite as tight. Uh, you know, it doesn't quite look that way. It's not that dramatic. But the same requirement is still there, completely sold out for this one mission, regardless of whether it looks conventional or it doesn't look conventional, regardless of it causes us to have to sacrifice or not sacrifice. Jesus is looking for people who are completely and totally committed. And I thank God that I was brought up in a Christian household, not because I've been blessed, because I have been, not, be, not because I've seen great abundance, because I have, not because I got to see, I mean, dozens and dozens of miracles, because I have. It's all wonderful. But it's because I've been trained by my parents, by my pastor, and even here by Pastor Greg, who's a great example to us, by the way. I hope you know that. Um, but I've been trained that it's not really about me. The gospel isn't really about me, but it's about them out there. It's about, when I'm up here ministering, I realize that the gospel really isn't about me, but it's about you sitting there in the seats. And on those rare occasions where I do get to sit in the congregation, which I actually don't like, but um, <laughs> I like to have my hand to something. I actually, it's funny, at this point, I actually don't like to not serve. Like, I'm kind of like, this is, I need to do something. Like, you know, I, if I can't be on the worship team, like, I don't know, let me hold the door or something. Like, this is horrible, you know, <laughs> just sitting here. Um, but when, I'm, when I have been sitting in a congregation, 
the gospel isn't really about me. It is about me, but it's also about the person. It's more about the person sitting next to me. Paul said, "Prefer the other person over yourself." And so, as um, I'm closing, the musicians, you can come. That's what living in a Christian household has prepared me for. And I don't have it all figured out. I still got some lingering selfishness, I'll tell you. You know, not saying I'm totally this selfless person that's ready to go out, for, go out there and be martyred. Um, but I've been prepared. I've had examples set for me. And uh, I've had great examples of service set for me. I know how to get what I need because I've had parents and pastors and leaders who set that example for me. I know that I can sow a seed and reap a harvest in any circumstance. I know that no matter where I go, I will prosper. I know no matter what I put my hand to, it will be blessed. It will succeed. And I know that I can lay hands on someone and they will be healed. I know I can pray for someone and they will be delivered. I know that I could pray for, and I have, I prayed for friends of mine and their families and seen their families get set in right order, in divine order. I know that all of this is true and I learned that because I've been trained to serve in the gospel. Amen? Amen. I thank God for the opportunity to speak to you. I thank God, I hope There's so much more that could be said, so many wonderful things about growing up in a Christian home. And there's so many stories that I could tell, good and bad. But the finer details of what you need to know can be discovered in the Word of God, but also time spent with the Spirit of God. I've given you some extraordinarily basic principles. Live for God. That, that's, that's the simplicity of it. In the scripture that we read from Matthew, Jesus says, if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. And oftentimes, it seems to me like in the effort to make things right, in, the, in attempts to succeed, we lose success. In, in struggle and in toil, and try to just have you know, the, the perfect this and the perfect that, we never end up getting it. And just wanting everything to just work out perfectly. And if I just do these 10 things, I know that we could, we could have a great family. If I do these 10 things, I know my business would pro, pro, uh, prosper. I know that if I did these 10 things, you know, my schooling would just get so much better. And maybe there's a hint of truth in that, but it lacks power. The power is not in trying to find your life. The power is in losing it, giving everything away and saying, Lord Jesus, my life is completely yours. I will pick up my cross and I will follow you. And I completely believe everything that your word says. I completely believe that your spirit on the inside of me is sufficient for every good work. I am completely convinced that the mystery of the gospel is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that Christ is he who preaches the good news to the poor. He who opens blinded eyes. He who proclaims liberty to the captives. He who declares the acceptable year of the Lord. He who gives beauty for ashes. He who gives the oil of joy. He who gives the garment of praise. I believe that. 
and I give myself completely to it at any cost, at any embarrassment, regardless of any shame, regardless of any persecution, regardless of any affliction, I belong to you and I am completely yours. There is the power in losing your life to the reality of the gospel you will see everything set in right order you just got to die to what you had before and look ahead to everything that God has for you I heard one pastor say it this way put off the old man and look to the better version of you look to the better version of your family and know that with God it's possible but it's not possible in trying to do the 10 things to make it happen It's possible in saying, Lord Jesus, I am yours. Whatever this word says to do, I will do it. Whenever I'm doing my Bible study time and I come across something that says, do this, I'll do it. And whenever your spirit speaks to me and says, go there, do this, give that, even if it's embarrassing, Lord, I will do it. There is the power. And I can testify to you from experience as one who was raised in the Christian home, as one who is prepared for service in the gospel, everything I have told you is 100% true and is available to you. Amen? Amen. I felt led of the Lord to do this. I know we have to go, but I just wanted, it'll take literally one minute if we could stand. And I spoke to you some principles and I said a little while ago that it's very basic. Just give everything to him and obey him in everything. The finer details are found in being led by the Spirit. And so we're going to take 60 seconds. And I have my phone here, so I know exactly, approximately, 60 seconds. And, um, and we're going to pray in the Spirit. And regardless of time, regardless of you might be at home and saying, well, I'm not there. Look, you could do this at home. You could be listening to this recording after the fact. And I believe with absolute confidence that as you pray in the spirit, the Lord will impart to you strategies that you need for this day and this season to minister to your family. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of what stage you are at, whether you're my age, younger or older, doesn't matter. The Spirit of God can impart to you more in 60 seconds than I could in a whole half an hour. So let's lift our voice, pray in the Spirit, and believe God. Come on, lift your voice, pray in the Spirit, believe God. Come on, lift your voice. You may have to stir yourself. Stir yourself to connect to the Spirit of God. There are strategies. There's power available. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I bless you. I want to say one more thing. I want to say one more thing. I heard a testimony. There was this young uh, lady who came out of a hotel room and saw a blind lady sitting on a bench. And she went to her and laid hands on her for healing. And it appeared in the natural like nothing happened. Well, long story short, three days later, that blind lady was seeing and testified that not only did she get healed from blindness, but she also had COPD, which the girl did not pray for. But she was still healed of her COPD. If She was going to die from her COPD. 
but God healed her. And during the testimony, the girl that prayed for her, so both, both of them are testifying together, the girl that prayed for this blind lady, who she didn't even know, she's just sitting out there on a bench. Like I was saying earlier, regardless of what you may think, you have to give yourself completely to this for it to work. But that girl who was testifying, she said, it, she said I have a core conviction that it is impossible for a believer to pray and for something not to happen. It's impossible. When you pray, you need to become completely convinced in your mind and your heart. No matter what the outside, it can look three, it took three days. One, that first day, it looked like nothing happened. But three days later, she went away seeing. Free from COPD, she was going to die. And she's living. So regardless of what it looks on the outside, you have to be completely convinced that when you pray, it is impossible for nothing to happen. But every time you pray, it is not only possible, but something does happen. So take 20 more seconds and pray in the spirit. Something is happening. Come on, lift your voice. Something is happening. It is impossible for a believer to pray and nothing happen. Lift your voice. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus.